along in the life of Daniel. Daniel is actually about 80 years of age now. Last time we talked about Daniel last week, remember the first week he was about 15, the second week he was about 40, and now in one week he's become 80. It's almost like he's got dog years. And so he has been walking with God now for eight decades, for eight decades of his life, but he is now serving under a different king. He's under King Darius. This is actually the third king in Daniel's life that he's actually served under. And we come to Daniel chapter 6, verse 1 to 3, and it says, And it pleased Darius the king to appoint 120 satraps. It's basically uh, people who are overseeing particular areas of his kingdom. To rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of them who was Daniel. So it's Daniel and two guys that oversaw the 120 that oversaw the kingdom for the king. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps that he, by his exceptional qualities, that the king planned to set him over the entire kingdom. Now, when you look at the life of Daniel, Daniel is always standing out. Daniel is always standing up and he's always serving with an excellent spirit. In fact, the scripture says that Daniel had an excellent spirit. What does it mean to have excellence? It means to be the best that you can be at any given time. Excellence is not perfection. It's about being the best that you can be at any given time. He was always going the extra mile and so that caught King Darius's attention, and he, he's looking at his three administrators that are basically his two ICs, his second in charge, and he's thinking, man, I need to point one of them to rule the entire kingdom for me so I can relax, go fishing, and just have a good life. How many people think that sounds awesome? I would have thought there'd be a few more hands going up for the fishing, but that's okay. Um, and... He decides that of all three, the person that stands up head and shoulders above the, bed, above the rest is Daniel. Now, Daniel is serving God in his capacity all the way through. We see that in his life, that he's constantly serving God and that he has actually been a great witness in that position because he obviously stands out. The king notices, even King Nebuchadnezzar, the most evil king that was probably in the Old Testament turned an entire nation to God because of Daniel's standing up, because of Daniel's serving, because of Daniel's great witness. And what looks like a promotion for Daniel actually, literally, causes him a whole lot of trouble. Why? Because the other two administrators are a little bit jealous. They're a little bit upset that they don't get to do that role, and so what they do is they come up with a plan where they can falsely accuse him so that they can have him removed out of the picture and that they could step into his role. And so as we go through this this morning, you're going to start to see that Daniel's standing, you're gonna see how Daniel stands strong, not in his own strength, but in a supernatural strength that can only come from a lifetime of developed faithful relationship with a living God. There are three things that we can learn from Daniel, three truths that will help you stand strong in the middle of whatever you're going through. The first one is this, is when God raises you up, expect people to tear you down. How many people are encouraged by that this morning? When God raises you up, expect people 
to tear you down. Because a lot of times, I think we think that people will be excited for us as we step into the next phase or the next thing that God has for us. We're expecting to be People be excited for us. It's like I've seen time and time again in church life. People come to Christ, they get saved, they get really excited about what God is doing, and I hear people say, oh, they'll settle down in time. They'll settle down. You can't be that excited. They'll settle down and become a miserable Christian just like me. Yeah, you've seen that in church life, yes? When somebody rises up, people often take shots at them who are more successful. In New Zealand, what do we call that? We call that the tall poppy syndrome. We seem to think that in our psyche in New Zealand, that the best thing that we can do to somebody is to pull them down, not build them up. Are you with me? When God raises you up, there's always gonna be somebody who looks to tear you down. In fact, you know, if you put about six crabs into a bucket and you put them into the bottom of the bucket, one of those crabs, scientists will prove to you that one of those crabs will try and climb his way out of the bucket to freedom, yeah? But what happens is, as that crab is trying to get out of the bucket, the other crabs will grab hold of him and pull him back down into the bucket because their mindset, apparently with crabs, is that, you can't be free if I'm not going to be free, so I'm not going to let you get free. I'm going to pull you back down. And I'm telling you that we have that psyche in our culture in New Zealand where it's like, well, if I'm not going to let you get ahead of me. I'm going to pull you back down. In fact, I see that in families. I've heard parents say things like, who do you think you are? You're not better than me. You're not going to do better than me. Where actually the biblical principle is, is that every generation should stand on the shoulders of the generation before and that we propel them further. We never pull down. We always build up. That's what God teaches us to do. But you can be guaranteed that if God raises your head up above the crowd, somebody is going to want to lob it off. In Daniel 6, Verse 4 and 5 says, At this the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his con conduct of government affairs. But they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, We will never find any bias basis, sorry, for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. And so often we, unfortunately, and I will include myself in that, we think, but if I'm serving God and I'm doing what God has told me to do, there shouldn't be any, people should be excited for me, shouldn't they? There shouldn't be any opposition. If I'm doing what God wants me to do, I shouldn't have people coming against me. I shouldn't ever face a hard time. I, I don't know what you've been told about this Christian life, but if you've been told the gospel that some people preach, if you come to Jesus, everything will be fantastic. I'm sorry to tell you this, but that's not reality. Coming to God doesn't save you from tough times. It saves you from going to a hell when you die. It enables you to have God with you in life, that he helps you and he walks with you. It is not reality to believe that you can go through life and not have a hard time. Why? Because our battle, the Bible teaches us, 
is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people, but it's against principalities and powers. It's about the spirits behind people. People are never attacking you. It's the spirit behind them that attacks you because it wants to reduce you because it's afraid of you. And we can so often get angry with people when in reality, it's actually about our enemy, the prince of the dark world. The principalities and the powers that are against us because whenever we're taking the kingdom forward, whenever we're moving kingdom forward, we can always expect resistance from the enemy. And most of the time, the enemy works through people to try and pull you down. There is not a principality in power in the the spirit realm that is happy with you being here this morning, that is happy with you pursuing a relationship with Jesus Christ, that is not happy with you doing all that you can to be uh, as like God as possible, that we go from glory to glory and strength to strength, that we grow in our intimacy with him and we grow in our walk with God. There's not... There's not one that is happy about that. And what we, what we misunderstand a lot, and I include myself in this, is it's not people that are coming against you. It's the spirits of darkness that are behind them that are coming against you. Are you with me this morning? And if you're not ready to face opposition for your obedience to God, then I would suggest that you're not ready to be used by God. If, if, if you don't want opposition and being... In, in your walk with God and doing something for God, then you're not ready to be used by God because we look all the way from Genesis through to Revelation and anybody that ever did anything for God faced opposition. Why? Because the enemy doesn't want the kingdom to advance. The enemy does not want you to advance. And so can I say this this morning? Don't freak out when there's opposition to you. Freak out when there's not. Because if you're not facing opposition, I would suggest to you that you're really not doing anything that worries the enemy. I would be more concerned about when I'm not facing opposition than when I am, because I know when I am facing opposition, it means that what I'm doing is going to bring glory to God at some stage or another. And the enemy is trying to fight that. And so Daniel was standing out. Daniel was standing up. He's standing strong. And sure enough, there's opposition against him. The two other administrators come to the king and they say to him, hey, king, we think you're handsome. We think you're good looking. We think you're the best. And and we've got this really cool idea. We think, because you're such an amazing king, because they're buttering him up, yes? It's a little bit like... Dad, you're so cool, you're so amazing, I love you so much. Uh, And you're thinking in your head, what do they want? Unfortunately, King Darius, like most kings, had a bit of an ego, and so once they started scratching it, he was like, ooh, that feels good. And they suggested to him that what he does is he declares a law that for the next 30 days, the only thing that can be prayed to and worshipped in the kingdom is a statue of the king. And the king, having a bit of an ego thing, goes, oh, that sounds pretty good to me. So he makes a declaration that for the next 30 days, 
the only thing to be worshipped in the kingdom is the statue of him, and anybody that prays or worships anything other than him will be thrown into a den of lions. Now, you know that this created a problem for Daniel because Daniel was a faithful man of prayer. Daniel was a guy who prayed to God every single day. He's 80 years of age, remember. He has done this for eight decades. He has done this. And so this became a problem for Daniel that for the next 30 days, there's a declaration that if you pray to God, I'm going to throw you into the den of lions. I think it's interesting, and I had to ask myself this question. If somebody made a law like that today, I wonder how many people would be worried about me. I'll let that sink in for you for a little bit. I wonder how many people, if a law was made like that today, would be worried about me because I know that I'm a person of prayer. I wonder how many of you people would be worried about if a law like that was made today. You see, the way that I see it, Daniel had three options. The first one was this. He could stop praying. I mean, he's done this every day for 80 years. Well, probably not when he was a baby, but, but let's just say at least for the last 70 years of his life, he has prayed every day. In fact, the Bible says that he prayed three times a day to God. So he could just stop praying. Like he could say to God, hey God, you know, like I've been doing this for 70 years and I haven't missed a day. It won't hurt if I just missed a month. Because if I pray for you in this month and I get thrown into the den of lions, what good am I to you then if I'm dead? Like it'll be far better if... I just didn't do this for 30 days and I stayed in the position that I'm in. I'm sure you understand God. That could be his first option or his second option could have been the option that I would have taken if I'm honest, fake it. So rather than praying out loud and in public where everyone can see, I just do secret squirrel prayers. Thank you, Jesus. Are you praying? No, no not praying. Not praying, not me. Not praying. Just do it in secret. Just do it when nobody's looking. That would have been what I did. Fake that I wasn't really praying when I really was praying. If I'm honest, that's the choice that I would have made. And if you're really honest, that's not the choice you would make because you're really good people. <laughs> or the third thing that he could have done is keep praying publicly like he always has done. Keep praying publicly like he always has done. Praying aloud and risk death. And you know what? That's what Daniel decided to do because his faith in God was so strong that he wasn't fearful of the threats of the king. And so then my question becomes this is, if, if God raises someone up, people want to tear them down. And if this is how they're trying to tear him down by threatening him with death, and Daniel refuses to bow to the threat of death. What sort of incredible, audacious faith has been built in Daniel's life that he would have such faith in God that he is willing to stand so strong in his faith in the, in the face of possible death? What built him such a strong faith that he was able to stand in the face of death and say, you know what, I'm not bowing to that. Well, 
My point number two is this, is that kneeling to pray is what gives you strength to stand. Kneeling to pray is what gives you the strength to stand. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God just as he had done before. The decree was made, his life is a threat, and what does Daniel do? Just does what he's always done. Just does what he's always done. You see, our first response to trials should never be to panic, but always to pray. Prayer should be our first response, not our last response. Are you hearing me? I think that we have sometimes lost the privilege or the understanding of the privilege that we have that we get to pray. Because if you're like me, and I'm just being honest this morning, prayer isn't always my first response. My first response is normally I'll do everything I can to try and control the situation. Yes? And I I hear it in my language because after I've done everything that I can to try and control the situation, I'll say this. You guys don't say this. I say this. Well, I suppose I've got nothing else now but to pray. It's like the last resort. I've tried to control this whole situation. All my efforts have been in vain. So I suppose all I've got left now is to pray. And I wonder if God sits up in heaven and goes, well, you're in trouble now, buddy. If all you've got left is me in your corner. Yes? If all you've got left is me in your corner, then, you know, I'll be... I'll be you know, and we say that, don't we? We say, you know, now the only thing left that I can do is pray. I've tried everything else. I suppose all I can do now is pray. Cross my fingers and hope that God comes through. I think that our response to situations should not be all I can do is pray. Our response should be, I get to pray to the God who is in the throne room, who is seated on the throne that I have access to the very creator of the universe, the sustainer of the universe, that I get to pray and have an audience with the God who cares about the intimate needs of my life, where I can petition him, the God of the universe, on my behalf, and he hears the cry of those who humble themselves before him, and he can't help but answer our prayers because he's not deaf, that it cannot hear and his arms are not short, that it cannot reach. It's not my last resort. It's my first response should be to reach out to the creator of the universe, the God who made me, the God who knows me, the God who holds the universe between his thumb and his forefinger, the one that keeps everything alive, that in all things move and have their being in him. It's not the last resort to come to God. It should be my first response of, oh man, I've got this situation going on, but guess what? I get to pray to the God of the universe. I get to pray to the way maker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper, and the light in the darkness. That's what I get to do. I don't have to worry. I don't have to doubt. I don't have to be fearful because when I kneel to pray, he gives me the strength to stand. Daniel didn't announce or make a public show of what he was about to do. Daniel didn't You know, make a big deal out of it. He didn't let everybody know, hey, I'm about to go and pray. 
Hashtag, I'm so spiritual. He didn't make a big announcement about it. It says that he just did what he had always done. And that's the key, my friend, for you and I to be able to stand strong in situations. He did what he has always done. So what that says to me is that the success of Daniel is so much dependent upon the pre-decisions that Daniel made in his life before the challenge came. Daniel made a pre-decision. He made a determination that he was going to be a man of prayer three times a day. It's what he always did, even when there was no trial coming against him even when the enemy wasn't coming against him, even when he wasn't facing opposition, he made a predetermined decision that this is what I'm going to do. So when the opposition came against him, Daniel's response was, I'm just going to do what I have always done. The problem with you and the problem of I, if I'm honest, is that if we don't have a predetermined decision about this is what I'm going to do and this is how I'm going to walk out my life, no matter what it looks like, then when the problem comes, we will do what we've always done, which is relied on ourselves to try and fix the problem and control the situation. He predecided before the threat. He said, I'm a child of God. Therefore, I will seek him. And for him, it wasn't just once a day. It was three times a day because he has been good to me. My God has been good to me. I, I need to hear his voice. I need to be walking in his spirit. I need his ongoing strength. And I want to have an intimate relationship with God. So Daniel pre-decided before the tough times came what he is going to do. I don't know about you, but I've come to this conclusion that if I haven't predecided my plan to, ne- to get to know God, if I haven't predecided my plan to get to know God, then chances are I'm not going to get to know God. If you, if you don't have a predecided plan of how you're going to grow in your intimacy with Him, then, friend, it's not going to happen. Because if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. If you don't have a predetermined plan of how am I going to walk this out? What am I going to do? I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to read my Bible daily. I'm going I'm to pray. I'm going to get into a connect group. I'm going to serve on a team. I'm going to do next steps. If you don't have a predetermined decision about how you're going to grow in your intimacy with God, then I guarantee you, you won't. You won't. I've seen... All sorts of people start off so well and then as they go along on their Christian walk, they let the very things that they did at the start slip. And then they can be 35 years down the track in their walk with Christ and be no more mature spiritually than someone who's been saved for 12 months because they didn't have a predetermined plan of how are they going to grow in their walk with God. For me, What I do, and I'm not perfect at it, but what I do is every single morning, first thing, is I do my Bible plan on version, which is an app that you can download on your phone. 
or download on your iPad, and it has all these different reading plans, has all these different studies that you can do. And so the first thing that I do every morning is I do my Bible reading plan. And then to make sure that I actually do it, I have people like Rimmer and Trinity and Anna and Dave Morgan and different ones that are part of my Bible reading plan group. So there's an accountability factor. So the mornings when I wake up in the morning, I don't really feel like doing it. And then I start seeing them post things about what God spoke to them as they did the Bible reading plan. I'm like, flip, I better get on there. Yeah? It helps to bring that accountability and I don't regret it. Sometimes when I don't feel like it, but I do it, God always speaks. God always challenges me. And so for me, it's, it's I get on that Bible app and I go through my Bible plans. I spend time in prayer. Trent and I pray every night before we go to sleep. There are things that we're predetermined. There are things that I pray every day on my way to the office. First thing that I always pray on my way to the office is help me see the needs of people that you want me to meet. Help me to see the needs of people that we can help, that we can meet. Help me to think your thoughts today, God. Help me to have wisdom to make the right decisions that is best for your people, that is best for me, that is best for my family. There are predetermined things that I have made in my life. At the moment, Trinity and I are working on a thing that I'm going to teach it to the church once we've got it down pat, a thing called daily declarations where we've got this plan that we go through where we daily declare over our lives the promises of God and the things that God has called us to do. And why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And and the more that you repeat it, the more that you say it to yourself on a daily basis, all of a sudden it starts to get root in your life. It starts to take place in your life. And all of a sudden the very thing that you struggled to say at the start now rolls automatically off your tongue. Why? Because you're always doing what you've always done. The outcome is what you do is what you'll always do. And if you can set some predetermined things in place, then friend, you will always do the right thing in different situations. God, give me the wisdom. If you don't have a predetermined plan to grow more intimate with God, chances are you're not going to do it. Daniel could stand before men because he had knelt before God. He was able to stand before people because he had knelt before the presence of God. And I believe this, and I say this to you this morning, I believe that your posture matters. How you present yourself to God matters. Because he says, I resist the proud, but I give grace to the humble. How you present yourself matters. Now, I'm not saying, please don't get me wrong today to say that Craig said this is the only way to pray. But can I suggest to you that sometimes the best thing you can do is get on your knees? Because when you're on your knees, it it creates a posture of humility. It creates a posture of coming under, submitting to that authority that's over you. It creates a posture. There is something powerful that happens when we get on our knees before God. In fact, sometimes getting on my knees is not enough, so I lie on my face and I suck carpet. Because I want to show God, I want to show Him a sense of reverence. I want to show Him a sense of humility. I want to show Him that sense of dependence. I want to get so low because I want to know I want God to know that in my heart, He is so high. 
I understand that if I humble myself, he lifts me up. If I get down low, God always lifts. And so for me, not all the time, but there are times where I know I need to get on my knees and there are times where I know I need to lie flat on my face before him. Because when, when life gives you more than you can stand, you kneel in prayer before him and he'll give you strength to stand. You know, there used to be a song that Petra used to sing. <laughs> Anybody under the age of about 35 is like, what's Petra? It was like Hillsong, Hillsong Young and Free for us as teenagers. Anybody remember Petra? Please help me out here. Whew. But they used to sing a song, and it used to go like this, get on your knees and fight like a man. And I believe that there's something powerful when we kneel. When we kneel, God gives us the strength to stand. And if you're going to take some sort of courageous stand in your life and stand against something that might be something like breaking up with your boyfriend because he's pushing you to do something or do things that are displeasing to God, or maybe... You're refusing to do a business deal because to you it's a little bit dodgy and you just don't want to do that. You're trusting God with that. You know what's going to go on in your mind? What's going to happen is, well, what happens if I don't get another boyfriend? Or what happens if I get overlooked now in my career and I never get that promotion that I'm going for? What if I end up losing my job because I wouldn't do the deal? Now, I wish I could tell you that if you make a stand, that everything will work out perfectly. I wish that I could tell you that it's always going to work out for you. I wish that I could tell you it's going to work out just the way that you want it, but I cannot tell you that at all. I can't tell you that if you make a stand, everything will work out perfectly. Because what about Daniel? Making a stand, what, what, what if, you've you got to understand, we know what happens, but he didn't. I wonder if he had thoughts like, well, what if the lions eat me? What if God doesn't rescue me? It's a fair question, yes? It's a fair question because there are plenty of other people in the Bible that God did not rescue. In fact, in Hebrews, it says that some were burnt at the stake, beheaded and fed to the lions. Woohoo! And sawn in two. Yeah! What if, what if God doesn't come through? Why, what if God doesn't rescue me? You see, sometimes God's understanding, not sometimes, all the time. God's ways are not our ways. His understanding is not our understanding. And often, He will do things that don't make sense to us. So I cannot promise you, friend, that if you take a stand that you're not going to face consequences, that something's not going to go against you, that people aren't going to resist you, that you're not going to be left out or overlooked or end up getting hurt or maybe even feeling worse off, I can't promise you that everything will work out for good. Just like Daniel had no idea whether he was going to survive this or not. But what I can promise you is this is that when you do the right thing, you can always trust God with the results. When you do the right thing, you can always trust God with the results because Daniel didn't know the end of the story when he was in the middle of the story. You, you don't know the end of the story when you're in the middle of a situation. 
You don't know how it's going to turn out. Daniel had no idea whether he was going to come out of this alive or come out of this dead. He had no idea whatsoever what would happen, the way that it would end. All he knew is that for 80 years, God had been faithful to him. And so no matter what, Daniel made a decision because of the faithfulness of God towards him his whole life. That's it, period. No negotiation, no ifs, no buts, not what, no what ifs, not but how come, or it doesn't seem fair. God has been faithful to me, so therefore I will be faithful to him. And if he saves me, he saves me. But if he doesn't, then he doesn't. But I will trust him. In the background of all of this, while Daniel's going through this, King Darius, is, he's devastated because he loves Daniel. He thinks Daniel's awesome. The king's mad because he now realizes that these other two guys had tricked him because they're trying to get rid of him. He realizes that two of his three top men have just betrayed him. So he tries to find a way to get out of this so that Daniel doesn't have to go to the lion's den. But the problem is, is that he can't do that because he's given his word. He's made a decree. He has to follow through with what he's done. And so King Darius, the king that's not a follower of Christ, he doesn't eat. He doesn't receive any entertainment. He's so devastated. The Bible says that he goes to, a, to his palace and he fasts and prays for Daniel. The ungodly king fasts and prays for Daniel who's put in the lion's den. And we don't know what happens in the lion's den. We don't, we don't know what goes down. We don't know if Daniel walked in and said, whoa, here I am. Or whether he walked in like, make myself a small little ball, little ball, you know, like in the corner, rocking backward. We don't know what happened in the lion's den. We don't know how it went down. All we know is what didn't happen. We don't know what did happen, but we know what didn't happen. And we know that the power of God turned up, shut the lives of the mouths of the lions. And I believe it's because with all of my heart that this story reflects the goodness and the power of God in Daniel's life because of his predetermined decisions that he was always going to put God first. He was always going to do that. And first thing in the morning, King Darius wakes up and he runs down to the lion's den. He runs. It's the first thing he does. He runs down to the lion's den and he says this, Daniel, I love this part. Daniel, has your God, listen to what he says, whom you continually serve. <laughs> has your God who you continually serve. In other words, I have watched you and I have known you, Daniel, and you've always served him. Has that God that you've always been faithful to, has that God that you've always served, that you've never quit on, that you've always held true to, has that God who you continually serve rescued you from the pit of lions? And Daniel's response says, my God, I love this, my God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Not in your sight, Darius, but in the God's sight. Nor have I ever done anything wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed. Overjoyed. And gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. 
And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because, listen to what it says, he had trusted in his God. Because he had trusted in his God. When you do what is right, you can always trust God with the results. The two guys that that tricked the king, guess what? The guys that did wrong, guess what happened to them? They got thrown into the lion's den and they got eaten. And then the king issues a decree, issues a law that everyone in the kingdom should fear the God of Daniel. Once again, we saw him make a stand, stand up to Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar after seven years last week, you would have heard He made a decree that all of the nation must serve and follow the God of Daniel. Daniel holds strong in his faith, had no idea what the outcome was going to be, but he knew that he could trust God, and in trusting God, the king makes a declaration that the whole entire kingdom needs to fear the God of Daniel, because in Daniel's faithfulness to God, God was faithful to him. And can I encourage you this morning, if you're facing some sort of opposition, remember, remember this. Who God raises up, people will always try to tear you down. But it's not people, it's the enemy. It's part of life, friend. If you're going to do something of significance for God, there will be opposition. Don't be afraid when there's opposition. Be afraid when there isn't. Because if there isn't opposition to what you're doing, it's probably because what you are doing doesn't mean a whole lot in the big picture of things. Don't worry if you're facing opposition for your obedience to God. Kneel to pray will give you, kneeling to pray will give you the strength to stand. When you face opposition, kneeling to pray will give you the strength to stand. But remember, if you haven't predetermined how you're going to grow in your intimacy with God, then in reality, chances are pretty good that you're not really going to grow closer to God. Daniel, in his prayer, just did what he had always done, a predetermined decision of how he was going to live his life and how he lived his life just continued on even when the opposition came. And when you do what is right, you can always trust God with the results. Always. Oh, but... but you don't understand, I'm in the middle of the situation, I just can't see how God can come through for me. I just can't see how this can work out for good. Neither could Daniel. He couldn't see, friend, that God was gonna shut the lion's mouth. He had no idea. Just like Jonah had no idea that when he got thrown overboard on the boat, that through God's grace, that he'd get swallowed by a fish and saved. They had no idea. They didn't know. When the disciples were in the storm on the lake and it looked like they were going to die because of how, how bad the storm was, they did not know that Jesus would come walking to them on the water. They did not know. And you can't know how the outcome is going to be But you can trust him that if you do the right thing, you can trust him with the results. Why? 
because we've got this great scripture in Romans which says, all things, not some things, not one or two things, not hopefully things, but all things work together for good for those who love God, predetermined decision, and accord according to His purpose. People that make a predetermined decision that this is how I'm going to grow in my intimacy with Him. This is how I'm going to grow in my walk with God. That when the, when the tough time comes, when the battle comes, when the opposition comes, we just continue on in what we've always done because we know that God has been faithful then. He will be faithful now. And even if my God does not save me, I am not going to bow. I'm not going to bow. I'm not going to bow. See, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Daniel's battle was never against King Darius. It was against the principalities and powers that were operating behind him. And we can stand firm in our faith because we stand because our God has been faithful to us. He's been faithful to us through Jesus, who we sent to die on the cross for our sins. He's always been faithful to us. Romans says this, nothing separates us from the love of God. Nothing. Nothing separates us. Nothing that you've done, nothing that you will do, nothing that you're doing right now separates you from His love. It's, it's the way that He works. He is faithful to you. You can be faithful to Him. Because when you do the right thing, you can always trust Him with the results. And when you're feeling weak, if you would kneel, He'll give you the strength to stand. Because He knows that when He calls you, He knows that there's opposition. But He doesn't, see, he doesn't send you out to do what He's called you to do to fail. God actually loves you more than you love yourself. God actually cares about you more than you care about yourself. How do I know that? Because while you were sinners, Christ died for you. He made a way for you even when you didn't want one. He cares more about you than you do about yourself. And God doesn't send you out to do something to fail. He sends you out to make a difference in the world. But even Paul... The Apostle Paul and all of the great things that he did were shipwrecked, stoned, all sorts of opposition. But it did not stop Paul from advancing the kingdom. It did not stop Paul from seeing the blind see and the deaf hear and the lame raise. It did not stop Paul from seeing churches planted all through his missionary journeys. It did not stop Paul that we are now in this building today experiencing the life of Christ because men back then and women back then did not step back in the face of opposition, but they stepped forward trusting God with the results that they knew He was faithful to them. So I'm going to be faithful to Him. And if you want to stand in the midst of opposition, friend, the best place that you can stand is when you kneel because He'll give you the strength to stand. And then you can trust Him because He always